Please be seated. Would you pray with me as we get started here? Heavenly Father, we thank you for equipping us with gifts and calling us to ministry. You have gifted and called each one of us to serve you, both inside and outside of the church. And Lord, as we look at your word, we ask that you would teach us what ministry is and how we, your ministers, may serve you. Reveal yourself in your word and in us and empower us to do your will. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So I want you to do something as we get started this morning. If you have a bulletin close by, pick it up, shake it about, turn it over. Look at the back. Now, look down in the left-hand corner right above the blue bar. If you don't have a bulletin, I'm going to stick that up there. And uh, what does it say on the top line? Anybody? Why, why don't we say that out loud together? Ministers, all the people. That's a pretty important concept. That's a very, very biblical concept. Uh, I am the pastor, but together we are the ministers of the church. You are a minister for Jesus. In fact, God created you for ministry. He created you for service to him and service to our neighbors for the sake of Christ. Uh, when we think of a minister, what do we think of? Well, we think of the pastor, the minister. That's how we usually do it with a big emphasis on the the part. He's the hired gun. He's the guy we pay to do the ministry. And since there's only one pastor, that guy is me. But the Bible looks at this subject differently than we often do. Uh, in fact, sometimes differently than we've acted down through church history. Uh, according to the scriptures, I'm the training officer. Let's take a look at that scripture in Ephesians 4. So Christ himself gave the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining the whole measure and fullness of Christ. So where am I in this configuration? Well... I'm up there, pastors and teachers. Uh, there's literally shepherd and teacher, and, and those two words are correlated in the Greek language so that they kind of, if we were going to translate them properly into English, we could probably hyphenate the word pastor and teacher together, pastor-teacher. Uh, and where are you in this, in this configuration? You're right over there. The people. The people. That's... Everybody who loves and has received the Son of God. Everybody who's received Jesus. So how do we connect? Well, the Bible says that I, along with prophets and other people here, evangelists and apostles, we equip you for works of service. Now, now let, let me take us down a little bit deeper. Works of service is how we translate the word deacon. It's literally saying deaconing. It puts it in that active form. 
It's a variation of the word for deacon, and deacon is the most common word translated in ministry throughout the entire New Testament. So we have people who specifically hold that office of deacon, but then we also are all responsible to do some deaconing. I'm supposed to train you for serving in ministry or deaconing, but the goal of that ministry, it says, is moving on to maturity. Let's look at that last part again. So that the body, this is why we're doing this stuff, so that the body of Christ may be built up, that we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So it's being built up, first to reach unity in the faith, second to learn about Jesus, to become mature to the point that we attain the full measure of Jesus. In other words, our ultimate goal is to become like Christ. So our ministry leads to maturity that looks like Jesus. So when we, we put our gifts together, when we use the spiritual gifts that God gave us, the church in general is built up, but you in particular are built up, and so am I. We're all being built up as we use our gifts within the body of Christ and outside the church, too. God created you for ministry. Did you know that way back in Genesis 1, God gave us a job? You know, we, didn't, we weren't just made to kind of lay around and get a full body tan, you know. That's not the whole purpose of why God created us. God also gave us a job right in the beginning. It's a stewardship responsibility. Uh, the Adam and Eve were created to be caretakers of creation. They named the animals. They cared for the animals. They cared for all of God's creation, in fact. They were stewards of all that God made. And, you know, in the New Testament, we, we look at that kind of gift, gifting for ministry but our ministry here is primarily aimed at other human beings. We minister on behalf of God. It's not exclusively that. There's still part of that stewardship over creation still exists, and we're going to talk about that a little bit later on. But in and through God's church, our ministry is primarily aimed at other human beings. And even when we serve people, it's as if we're serving God himself. That's the thrust. If you've read the parable of the sheep and the goats, uh, in Matthew 25, Jesus says, whatever you did for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. He also says, whatever you didn't do for the least of these, you did not do for me. Serving in ministry to others is like serving God himself. And it contributes to our growth and our maturity. In Jesus' day, a lot of the Jewish leaders tried to keep that ministry within the flock of Israel. Uh, it was okay with them if you served God's people, if you exercise your gifts, but stay away from those Gentiles over there. And Gentiles is everybody who was not Jewish. And that attitude shows up in a lot of different places. And it really comes out in the parable of the Good Samaritan. Uh, Luke chapter 10, the reason why Jesus told this parable at all was in answer to a question that was asked by a so-called expert in the law. And here's the question. Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus kind of turns the question back to him and he says, well, what does it say in the law and how do you read it? 
How do you interpret what you're reading? The expert in the law gives the correct answer. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, you got that right. Now go and do it. Obviously, this man is hung up on the second part, the love your neighbor as yourself part. He has no problem loving God. But when it comes to loving your neighbor, he doesn't want to interpret that too broadly because of the way that they've been living for a long time. Uh, sure, I'll minister to my neighbor as long as they have oh, the same skin color as I do, the same customs as I do, speak the same language that I do, maybe dress like me. But how far are we really supposed to take that? How far is that supposed to go? Well, I think it becomes pretty obvious here that he's looking for wiggle room. Uh, Luke says that the man wanted to justify himself, and so he asked Jesus this question that's sort of the key to the whole thing. Who is my neighbor? Every time I see that, I think of VeggieTales. I can't help it. We watch that particular video over and over again with our kids. Who is my neighbor? Who is it exactly? Who's included? Who's in and who's out? You know, I think he wants to draw boundaries around this idea of neighbor. You know, he wants to only serve certain people, and he doesn't want to serve some others whom he's not real fond of. And that's when Jesus tells the parable of the Good Samaritan. Who, who's the hero of the parable of the Good Samaritan? Anyone? Who's the hero of the story? The Samaritan, that's right. The hated enemy of the Jews. Someone the Jews considered a traitor to Israel. They considered him a, a, a blasphemer because he worshipped God in, in their own temple instead of in the temple of Jerusalem. And, and they would often cross the road to the other side to avoid them. You ever had that happen to you? I, I had that happen to me only once that I remember, but just somebody who was you know, very upset with me and as I was walking down the road, they literally crossed to the other side to avoid having any contact with me at all. And even though I called out hello, they didn't acknowledge me. They just kept on going and pretended I wasn't there. This was common behavior between the Jews and the Samaritans. Well, that's also why, if you think of the story of the woman at the well, that's why when the the, uh, the disciples, the, uh, the apostles came back from getting lunch. They came to the well and they found Jesus talking to a woman. Not only a woman, a Samaritan woman. And uh, that was shocking to them because they'd rather spit on that person than talk to them. That's how severe it was. And that was not uncommon. So Jesus turns this expected answer of who is my neighbor... And he turns that question around, and he makes the Samaritan the hero of that story. And that man, that Samaritan, that hated person stops to give a Jewish man on the Jericho Road care. We know he's Jewish because he's coming from Jerusalem. We can at least assume that. And, and he gives him first aid. And he bandages up his wounds, and he sterilizes the wounds, and, and he puts that, that presumed Jewish man on his donkey, and he took him to an inn, and he paid for 
those people to take care of him, no matter what the expense was. But the priest who came along and saw that man laying by the side of the road, he crossed to the other side of the road to avoid him. He's one of his own brothers in Israel, but he's avoiding him. And the Levite, a person serving in the temple, he comes along and, and he does the same thing. He crosses to the other side of the road and he avoids serving that man. But the outcast, the hated Samaritan, he cared for the beaten man. And Jesus asks the expert on the law this question. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell in the hands of robbers? And the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. You may have noticed that, that we put part of verse 27 here on our banner upon the wall that says ministry. Uh, we, we particularly put the words love our neighbors as an extension of that. Uh, you know that uh, ministry is something that we do both inside the church and outside the church. We do it with God's people, and we do it with our neighbors, too. But so often, you know, it's like the, the, the guy asking the question who, he didn't have any problem loving God, and we don't have any problem loving God, and we don't have any problem loving our neighbors inside the church. That's a, usually a pretty easy thing to do, although not always. Sometimes we get into squabbles, and we're family, right? And we got to sort that stuff out. But often we focus our energies on one another. And we fail to take our ministry outside the door. It's a, it's a little bit like the expert on the law who wanted to stay inside his own culture and with his own people. He was happy to minister there to Israel, but what about the rest of the world? Last week we talked about those gifts that God gives us. We call them spiritual gifts because they're different from our natural abilities. There's something special that comes to us once we come to be a believer in Jesus. And we're supposed to use those gifts together. And that shows who Jesus really is when we work together like that. You know, God hardwired you to serve him. He created you for it. And so uh, my question is, what are you doing with your gifts? What are you doing with them? Are you serving in some kind of ministry? Have you allowed them to become a ministry? Or are you just kind of sitting on them? Use them on special occasions. Keep them in a little box up on the mantle. And once in a while, you take them down and go, yeah, I, I should use them. I'm supposed to use them. So I'll go and do this. I'll volunteer to do this one weekend a year. You know? But we have a ton of stuff to offer the world around us. The things that we do when we use our gifts demonstrate that God is real. They show God in a very practical way. Um, and, and I want to suggest to you this morning that we might want to rethink our gifts and, and think about how we use them. In fact, maybe combine, you know, we, we look at a title like helps or or administration, or some other gift that we've been given, and we look at it in kind of an abstract way. But I want to kind of look at, at maybe a little more down-to-earth way of thinking about our gifts. For example, the gift of mercy. That's the comfort blanket person. That's the encouragement coach. That's the depression lifter. 
You might say that's the soother, the one who soothes. Teaching is already a great word, but, but what if it was knowledge provider or wisdom giver or the show you how to do it gift or maybe even the gift of let me help you understand it. The gift of helps. Well, that could be all kinds of things. It could be the, the gift of my make stuff or the gift of I fix stuff or the gift of I do for others. An administration, well, it's definitely not the gift of telling people what to do. That's, that's probably the first thing that comes to mind when we think of administration. What about if it's, uh, I make things work? I help to bring things together. And the gift of hospitality is one of my favorites. I think it's the gift of love you in my home. The gift of my space is your space. Or in... Kathy's situation, I think it's the gift of tea and care. <laughs> and leadership. That's the gift of follow me. You see what I mean? You see where I'm going with this? That, that we often think of our gifts in the abstract, but the gifts are made for ministry. They're given to us to use. And that goes for any of the supernatural gifts as well. They, they're all given to us by God to use for the extension of God's kingdom and for the care of the people within the kingdom and also for the care of those people outside the door whom we're trying to reach for Jesus. It's not something abstract. It's something very tangible. God called you to ministry. God gifted you with special gifts and abilities just for serving. And God empowered you by his Holy Spirit to get things done for Jesus, to do things for Jesus, uh, to be an instrument, to be an energizer, to be an influencer, to be a catalyst for change or growth, to be a comforter, to be a healer. And we could go on and on and on here. Uh, I hope over the last couple of weeks, and we've challenged you to be praying about this, about what, what you'll allow God to use, what gifts you'll give to God, what you'll let him empower. And, and I hope you've been praying about that. You know, uh, How is God calling you? Is God calling you? Are you starting to sense that God's saying, hey, I need you to do this? You know, Maybe God's calling you to play the piano. Maybe he's calling you to learn to play the bass guitar. Maybe he's calling you to weed the gardens or to serve on the trustee board or to lead in prayer or to be a part of the prayer chain and pray for those requests that we get here each week. How is God calling you? And how do you feel he's leading you to serve? And the next question that belongs with that is, are you willing to do it? It's one thing for God to call us to do something. You know, it's like we talked about when Justin did that great illustration with the paper that you guys wrote stuff on, and this is the stuff I'm dedicating to God, and here I am dedicating my whole thing to God, and I'm laying it on the altar, and then you knew those things got burned, so nobody ever saw those. So do you really have to keep them? Do you really have to follow through? 
you don't know your gifts, we can help you discover your gifts. And we have inventories that we can sit you down with and very practical ways you can fill it out. And it, it will suggest to you that your gifts are in this area or in this special group. Sometimes it's a, a group of two or three that work together in a cluster. And we can help you learn what those are. And we can also help to coach you through to the point where you take those gifts and you begin to use them in ministry. And so if you're interested in that, please talk to me or talk to Shelly or talk to one of us uh, in leadership here. We'll make sure you get to do that. We'd love to see you do that. For the past several weeks, we've been looking at our basic five purposes of a church. Um, and, and we've been asking this question, where do I fit? Now, that may not have been apparent to you as we've been going through what the answer to that is. But if you think about it, you fit into each of these categories in some way. God made you to worship. He called you to reach others for Jesus. He made you a disciple and to disciple other people so that they too can grow in Jesus. He created you for community and put you in this place for fellowship and for a whole lot more. You fit in all these places and he made you for ministry inside the body of Christ and outside. You fit all those in some way, in, in sometimes many ways. But you know, there's something that happens to us uh, as God calls us, and that is that we find ourselves generally leaning towards one more than the others. You know, God, there are some people who seem to be very gifted in worship, and so they get drawn more to that area. It doesn't mean that we don't do the other things, but it means that that's probably the area that you are gifted in, and therefore God will call you within. So I encourage you to ask the Holy Spirit to lead you in that area to, first of all, maybe in a more general way, to lead you into, you know, what, what, of the, what area, what purpose in the church is God calling me to? And then a second step, what specifically is he calling me to do within there? And you could also ask the question of, of what opportunities are there? You know, sometimes we sit there and we wait for a lightning bolt to come down out of heaven and, and write it on the pew next to you. This is what you're supposed to do. And other times, I think we need to just take the opportunity to go and to do. Think about the calling of Jonah. God said, I want you to go to Nineveh. Think about the calling of Isaiah. Isaiah was worshiping in the presence of the Lord, and the question was asked, who will go? And he says, here I am. Send me. God didn't write it on the pew next to him. He heard the need and the call, and he answered it. And God leads us in different ways, but he does lead us. We're going to move into our time of communion. And I want to suggest to you that, that all of these things that we've been talking about for several weeks, they all kind of come to a center in the Lord's table. They come to a center in the table because of Jesus. Jesus himself is the center, and the table is all about Jesus. It has the elements of service and surrender, and belief and hope. And 
Today I invite you to give yourself once again to Jesus and let him guide you to whatever's next. Because there is a next. There's always a next. No matter how old we are, no matter how young we are, there's always a next step. I'm going to lead us into a time of prayer. And part of that's going to be silent. That's just between you and God. And nobody else knows what you're going to say to him. But this is a really good time to renew your faith. This is a good time to offer yourself again. It's a time to ask God to clean your heart and fill you with his spirit and empower you to do things that you can't do on your own. To be ready to receive the Lord. To do so in a worthy manner. It doesn't mean that you have to have, you know, a glow-in-the-dark kind of a faith. It means that you just get right with God, that you put it all in his lap and you ask forgiveness. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we've been talking about ministry today, I believe that, that you've been talking to our hearts. We ask that you would reveal the gifts and the talents that you have given to each one of us. Show us specific ways that we can use them for your service and to go out and draw this fallen world to Jesus. Lord Jesus, over and over these past weeks, we've been confronted with the need to surrender ourselves to you for a deep and meaningful relationship with you. Lord, help us to abide in you and in your word. May you be the center of our lives. Holy Spirit, descend on us now. Empower us to do your will. God, in these moments, we silently confess our sin and our need of you. We ask for your forgiveness and restoration. Lord, I believe that you died for my sins. I believe in your resurrection on that third day. And I thank you for forgiving me. I thank you for your presence in my life. And I give my full heart to you, and I promise to serve you through my entire life. Lead us, Lord, as we remember you in this act of communion. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.